this morning, if you will see in your notes, we're talking about Jesus, who is our bread from heaven. As you turn there in your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 6, and also in your notes, I'll give you a moment to do that. We're going to look in the Gospel of John chapter 6, starting in verse 32. The Word of God says this, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Then the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it that he says, I have come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said to them, Do not murmur amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who was from God. He has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the true bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. What we have to understand here in this background, at this point in the Gospel of John, Jesus had just completed one of his greatest miracles. He had just sat there on the hillside as 5,000 men gathered before him, and with five loaves and two fish, fishes, he had just fed the masses. Now, you've heard the story about the feeding of the 5,000, and the Bible records that the 5,000 was the count of men and not just women and children. So you take into account women and children. It could easily be between 10 and 15,000 people that were fed by Jesus from five loaves and two fishes. So here we have this great miracle, and this instantly crescendoed Jesus to rock star status among the people. And now he had gone to the other side of the lake of Capernaum, Even though it was a nice day for a boat ride, Jesus decided to walk on water. And he walked on water to the other side of the Capernaum. And now here he is on the other side, and a great crowd has followed. They come looking after that rock star that fed the 15 or 20,000. And here's what Jesus tells them. He tells them that they come looking not because he was a miracle worker, but... Because he filled their stomachs. He says, you don't come to me because you saw me work miracles, but because you were fed. Here's what Jesus points out to them and what I want us to put in context today. Jesus showed them 
that they came looking with the wrong hunger. They came to Jesus with the wrong hunger. They were hungry for physical food, but Jesus offers spiritual food. Now, before you get judgmental, let me ask you how many times in your life has there arisen a physical need or maybe a financial need, and we were much quicker to run to Jesus because of our need than because of our intimacy. Many times we are guilty of going to Jesus with the wrong hunger. I would like to take Jesus' words today and put them among the backdrop, not just among the people's situation in the Gospel of John, but in our own situation as well. As we look towards taking the communion bread together afterwards, we will have a greater understanding and appreciation of the bread from heaven. What I think we will find in Scripture today are three qualities of those who eat the true bread from heaven. If you're taking notes, the first quality of those who eat the true bread from heaven, those who eat the true bread will never go hungry. Never go hungry. As we read in John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. You see, many of us don't know what this means. Many of us have never lived in situations where we truly had to be hungry. There's something around two to three billion people that live in continents like India and Africa that will get one bowl of rice today. And that's their meal. We've never had to live in that society. We've never had to live in those situations where we were that hungry. But these people in Jesus' day, they, they truly were hungry. I mean, they really were seeking Jesus because they had a physical hunger. But here is the essence of what Jesus is telling them. There is an even greater spiritual need that will dominate your physical needs. What we find is that when we aren't spiritually fed, then we try to be physically fed. You see what I'm saying by that? What happens is you don't come to the house of God on Sunday and you start feeling guilty. So you'll try to put things in your life to get you fed, but not in a spiritual sense. And when Jesus says those who come to him will never hunger, I think there are three hungers that we can take a look at that when we eat the true bread from heaven, which is Jesus Christ, we'll never have to worry about. The first is the hunger to be loved. Do you know why God created us to need love? Because the Bible says God is love. Do you know what that means? That means that God created you and me a perfect match for him. If I need love and God is love, it's a match made in heaven. For the rest of eternity, there's a perfect match of God who is love and me who needs love existing forever. But some people in the world don't think they need God's love. Some people think they're okay with self. But see, God's love is everything beautiful that you could ever imagine. God's love is everything perfect that you've ever been inspired by. What if every time you savored the most uh, 
sweetest meal you've ever had or every time you've cried during the most beautiful movie or every time you've been moved to laughter by friendship with with a fellowship of people what if all those moments point to the perfect union in Christ Jesus you see here's why I know God is okay with with things beautiful because he created all those things to be a reflection of him God is love. And that need to be loved, that hunger to be loved that's built within us is fulfilled in the cross of Jesus. That is when God says, I love you. And listen, if you have been, uh, if you have experienced the overwhelming grace and mercy of the Father wash over you unconditionally, then you know what I'm talking about. There's nothing in the world that can compare to the love of a father. There's no mountain you can climb to feel what it's like to be loved by the father. There is no treasure that you can amass that matches the vastless wealth stored in the heart of Jesus. 1 John 1, 1, uh, chapter 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love of the father that he has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. When we eat of the bread of Christ... That hunger to love, to be loved, is forever satisfied. Secondly, there is a hunger to be accepted. Everyone wants to be included. People want to feel a part of something greater than themselves. They don't want to be an outcast. I think this is possibly the greatest testimony of Christ and of his church. Is that we accept people no one else will. Everyone's like, yeah, he's talking about that guy. (laughs) Now think about this for a moment. You can't go to anywhere else in society and find the mixture of people you find in the house of God together. You've got poor people. You've got rich people. You've got redneck. You've got white collar. The closest thing might be a NASCAR race. But you got all these people meeting together for one common purpose, and that is to worship the Lord Jesus. People sitting shoulder to shoulder who normally in other parts of society would never be together in common life. Because at the cross, all are equal. You see, what the gospel says is you can be accepted when no one else will. What the gospel says, and when there's never uh, someone else in society that's going to include you, Jesus will. Through the bread of Christ, it satisfies the hunger to be accepted. We see in John 15, 15, Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I've learned from my Father, I have made known to you. Let me tell you something. If I'm a friend of Jesus, it doesn't matter what other people think of me. If I can go home and talk to my Jesus, it doesn't matter if someone else gives me the cold shoulder today. If there's a coworker at work that doesn't like you because you carry around your Bible during lunchtime, that's okay. Because Jesus is always there to talk. You see, when we understand that God invites us and accepts us, 
then the way other people treat us really don't matter anymore. I'm okay. And even we expect it. Because here's the deal. Once you're accepted by Jesus, you're most likely going to be rejected by the world. Other people are going to treat you differently because now you're a follower of Christ. They're going to call you weirdo. They're going to call you Bible thumper. They're going to call you a fundy. All those neat names that they make up to describe people who just love Jesus. But sometimes you have to be willing to be an outcast in society to find acceptance in Christ Jesus. There's a hunger to be accepted. And thirdly, a hunger to be forgiveness, uh, forgiven. Forgiveness is tied with love because it implies an unconditional relationship. The first quality of agape love is that uh, uh, there are no conditions. And if there are no conditions, there has to be forgiveness. When you know that the God of the universe... That the God who sees everything, that the God who knows even your secret thoughts, when you understand that God offers complete forgiveness through the cross, it will change the way you live forever. You see, we can act nice around each other because we don't really know who each other are. But God does. And God loves you anyway. See, if most people knew what we were thinking half the time, they wouldn't want to be our friend. But God still does. Unconditional forgiveness. Through the bread of Christ, the hunger to be forgiven is satisfied. And Jesus is faithful. He says in John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Friend, through the bread of Christ, through that bread from heaven, you will never be hungry. Secondly, through that bread from heaven, you'll never be driven away. He tells those followers in John 6, 37, he says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I'll never drive away. You see, what we had on this day was a great crowd of Jesus again following him, looking for another five loaves and two fishes. But on this day, Jesus didn't have five loaves and two fishes. And he could have said, I don't have what you're looking for. But see, he didn't drive them away. What he did was he offered something better. He offered them a bread which will not perish. He did not drive them away. No, they came looking for food, but he gave them something more important. Here's the thing. Here's how you know in your own spiritual life that God will never drive you away. I'm going to tell you one reason. The bread of life only has to be eaten once. The bread of life only has to be eaten once. You see, when we take the communion bread together, we take the communion bread physically to show what happens spiritually. We take it together as a body of believers to show when Jesus said, this is my bread, you will never die. We take that to show something that happens spiritually. And what happens spiritually is that the righteousness of Christ, which is on the outside of us, comes on the inside. Through an act of faith, the righteousness comes on the inside. And you only have to do that act of faith once. What do I mean by that? You don't get saved every Sunday. 
You don't get saved every revival. You don't get saved every year. You get saved once through the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and that bread of righteousness from heaven is with you forever. There have been some brands of Christianity which teach that if you are a Christian but have now backslidden, you need to get saved again. There are some brands of Christianity that will baptize you every time you come to the altar. But here's the deal. Salvation is not based on how many times I went down to the altar, but how many times Christ went to the cross. You see... Your Christianity is not about how many times you've walked out of a confessional, but about how many times he's walked out of the tomb. And he only had to do it once. He only had to conquer sin once. He only had to conquer death once. And he did it once forever so that his righteousness can be applied to you once and for all. You don't have to get saved again. 1 Peter 3.18 said Christ died for sins once for all. The righteousness for the unrighteous to bring you to God. I guess people think that when they accept Jesus Christ as their Savior, but then their, their life doesn't look like it, I guess they thought Jesus hopped off the cross. And they need to invite him back on that cross so they can get saved again. Well, Jesus, you died for me once. And I didn't do what I was supposed to do. Let me tell you something. Jesus did what he was supposed to do. Don't ever base your salvation on how you act. Because if I get up and look every morning and I say, does Jesse Watkins define what Christianity uh, is supposed to look like? That's going to be a bad definition. I hope you don't turn in your dictionary in the morning and say, am I a Christian? Well, let me see what Jesse Watkins is doing. It's not based on me. It's not based on you. It's based on the finished work of Jesus. You see... I know some of you are confused because we eat the communion bread often, and I keep talking about the bread of life is eaten once. But, but here's, let me explain. We don't eat the bread to get saved. You eat the communion bread because you are saved. I don't put on my wedding ring every morning to get married. I put on my wedding ring because I am married. And the bread of Christ, the communion bread, is a testimonial to the righteousness which you have imparted through the cross. The bread of life is only eaten once. The bread of life works from the inside out. There must be a righteousness that happens on the inside before there is a righteousness on the outside. But most people will say, preacher, I don't feel really righteous. I don't really feel like a Christian. Well, thank God the kingdom of heaven is not about feelings. Thank God my salvation is not based on a feeling. You see, the kingdom of God is about knowledge. The Bible says in Hebrews 11:1, 1, faith is knowing what we hope for. So here is what we know. If we confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, and if we have asked him to forgive us of our sin, then you and I can know he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You see, I don't wake up every day feeling righteous, but based on the promise of Christ, I can know there is righteousness available for me. I can know righteousness by proclaiming it over my life. And once my inside starts to proclaim righteousness, then my outside will start to maintain righteousness. That's a good word. Where's the pen? The new people is like, does he really write that down? 
No, I just show what you need to write down because that was a good word. Once your inside starts to proclaim righteousness, then the outside can maintain righteousness. It starts on the inside first. The bread of life never leaves. I witnessed to a man at the hospital this past week. I'm not sure how much time he had left. But I asked him, I said, sir, are you a Christian? He said, I don't believe I am. I said, what prevents you from becoming a Christian? He says, I'm afraid I'll be a backslider. And I said, sir, you're letting the fear of self keep you from the fear of hell. You see, if you're afraid about not coming to Jesus because you might fail, that fear is going to be there forever. You can't come to Christ based on self. You have to come to Christ based on who he is, not who you are. And I said, sir, if you feel like the flesh is weak, that's more of a reason to come to Jesus and not to delay it any longer. And he says, well, I just don't think I can do it. I said, sir, when I leave tonight, if it's 12 a.m., know that this, you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, he'll forgive you from everything you've ever done. And that's a promise. That is a promise. But you see, some people think, well, I might be a Christian, and then the bread of life will leave. The bread of life never leaves. And we will never die. When you, free, when you feed on the bread from heaven, we will know that we can never die. John 6, 51 says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. See, dying implies perishing. It implies corruption. Do you folks realize that through Christ we are immortal? It almost sounds weird saying that. And I believe that most of us know we're going to live forever. But let me ask you a question. If you know you're going to live forever, why do you so frequently talk like you were about to end? Your time is not about to be up. Your time is about to be on. You see, when it comes closer to our time to be called up, it's time for the big show. It gets closer to the time for the big game. You don't ever see uh, uh, football players waiting in the hallway for the Super Bowl telling his teammates, well, guys, it's been nice knowing you. We've had a good run. No, they're excited for where they're going. Not sad about where they come from. I've got to get up on my soapbox for a minute. I visit. By the grace of God, I'm able to visit six people. I'm able to visit people in the hospital, people sick in their homes, people who are old, people who are elderly, but people who are Christians. I thank God for the opportunity to do so, but I'm tired of hearing Christians grumble about their condition. I'll say, well, how you doing? Well, pastor, it doesn't look good. You see, I'm waiting. I'm just waiting for somebody to say, 
Pastor, did you hear the good news? I've only got three weeks to live. Glory, hallelujah. I'm going to be with Jesus. It's time for the big show, folks. Let me tell you something. If you're sad because this life is about to end, you've not yet seen the magnificence of Christ. If you're sad because of something you're about to leave here, you haven't seen what you're about to find there. There's nothing here that we need to be sad about. If you're worried about leaving behind Johnny or leaving behind Sally, Jesus can take care of them because he took care of you all these years. He'll take care of them too. We will never perish, never die. Secondly, we'll never be punished. One of my favorite scriptures, Romans 8, 1, says, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Some Christians walking around thinking they're still going to heaven and will have to pay for what they did wrong. Let me help you out today. The bridegroom is not going to invite the bride to the wedding so that they can get a spanking. Think about that for a second. You imagine me on my honeymoon night. Saying, honey, we're going to have this big celebration, this big feast, this big banquet. We're going to have all this stuff going on. And me invite her to the honeymoon and then tell her she's going to get punished for what she did the past seven years. That'd be a silly silly wedding, wouldn't it? That's what some people, Christians, think God is waiting on. Some people think, well, I'm still going to get up to heaven and pay for what I did. Let me tell you, someone paid for what you did, and he did it 2,000 years ago on the cross. You're getting invited to a wedding. You're getting invited to a party. You're getting invited to a banquet. You're getting invited to a feast. And just like that prodigal son who had wasted his inheritance, the master of the party still is waiting to give you a new robe, a new ring, and new sandals because you are not a slave anymore. We'll never punish, never perish, never be punished, and lastly, never know sadness Revelation 21, 14 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eye. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Let me go somewhere for a second. Some people think that that is a future reality. But let me open your mind to this. Some people think there will be no more pain in the future. It doesn't have to be a future reality for you. It can be a present reality. Because, see, the, uh, the end times is not as much about, about us going to heaven. What we have to understand is heaven is already inside us. And if there's going to be no pain there, then let's what? Uh, me and you can have no pain here because Jesus is in me. I don't have to wait till I get there to stop crying. I can stop crying now. Jesus tell me, wipe my tears, put on my big boy britches. It's time to have a party and celebrate salvation. See, the kingdom of heaven doesn't start when Jesus returns. No, the kingdom of heaven started when he came the first time. The kingdom of heaven is now. The kingdom of heaven is here. The kingdom of heaven is us. The kingdom of heaven is you. You are the kingdom of heaven. Here's why I know the kingdom of heaven is here. Miracles wouldn't be possible unless the kingdom of heaven was already here. The Holy Spirit wouldn't be present in my life and in your life unless the kingdom of heaven was already here. When you eat of that bread of life, when you take part in what Jesus did on the cross through faith, every tear is wiped away. Every wrong thing you've ever done has been paid for by the blood of Jesus. 
There's no condemnation for you. There's no guilt for you. There's no grief for you. You're fixing to go to a big party. If people don't like you here, it doesn't matter because Jesus Christ has already accepted you. You're never going to die, never going to perish, never going to be sad. All we need to start doing is acting like it's all true. Today, in just a minute, we're about to take communion together. But let me ask you something. Have you taken the bread of life spiritually? Have you invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior once and for all? If that is true, then you will understand what it means to take communion with us today. But if you've never invited Christ to be your Lord and Savior, you won't know what this means. I want to give you the opportunity to do so. Can I have a moment with every head bowed, every eye closed? If you could say, Pastor, I'm still living in the old reality. I'm not living in the knowledge of salvation. I'm not living in the knowledge of righteousness. Because I've never turned from sin and turned to Christ. I want to give you the opportunity to do that this morning. First of all, right where you're sitting between you and God, will you take a moment and just say, God, I am a sinner. Would you admit to God that you failed, we've messed up, we're in need of his grace and mercy? After you've admitted to God, I want you to ask him just between you and God right now, right where you're sitting, ask him, God, will you forgive me of my sin? And 1 John 1, 9 says, he is faithful and just to cleanse you from every unrighteousness. Lastly, I'm going to ask you, after you've asked Christ to forgive you, will you place your faith and trust in Jesus as your only hope of salvation? Will you just say, Father, I believe that Jesus died in my place. I receive him today as Lord and Savior. Savior.